This is Holistic Counseling, the podcast for mental health therapists who want to deepen their knowledge of holistic modalities and build their practice with confidence. I'm your host, Chris McDonald, licensed therapist. I am so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome to today's episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. I wanted to start today's episode with a quote from the poet, Galib. He says, held back, unvoiced, grief bruises the heart. Grief is something we all experience in our lifetime. Today's guest is here to talk about a holistic perspective on grief. Ann O'Neill is a LCSWA and an LCAS-A whose primary focus is on the intersection of grief and substance use, how grief and loss impacts people's use. Prior to this, she worked as a grief counselor, spiritual counselor, energy healer, and chaplain. In addition to grief and substance use, she works with clients around issues such as anxiety, trauma, self-esteem, and relationship challenges. She is also the author of the memoir, If You Want the Rainbow, Welcome the Rain, a memoir of grief and recovery. And a fun fact about Anne, in a healing session after her mother's death, a board like the Childhood Light Bright Boards appeared that demonstrated how her soul interacted with her brother and her mother's over many lifetimes. Sounds like an amazing visualization. This full story was recently published in a book entitled Ancestors, published by Common Sentience. Welcome to the podcast, Anne. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here with you today. I was so excited about that light bright board, that vision. <laughs> that sounds so cool. It was pretty amazing. It was actually after my brother's death. And it, it was, oh. um, I went to a healer that I'd done a lot of work with that does a lot of shamanic healing. And I was in this very, very deep state. And out of nowhere, this big board of a bunch of diff- different lights coming up, three different light colors coming up. And every once in a while, another one would come in. Like, I think my husband came in for a while, my dad came in for a while, but they only stayed for a little while. But so the thread though, was how my life had interacted with my brothers and my mothers. And at the end of it, and I'm giving away the whole story, so you're not going to have to read it, but read it anyhow. (laughs) We will. At the end of it, what came as that started to, the light started to like slow down and everything, a message that came that it felt like it was from all of the souls that had participated that day. And the message was, everything is more perfect than you can possibly imagine. Oh, my goodness. Something I need to go back to often. That is powerful. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's just like life changing, isn't it? It really was. Yeah. And, you know. Like any human being, I lose the the thread of the big messages. So sure. Sometimes I, I have to go back to what if everything is more perfect than I can possibly imagine. And even that can, can help me to reframe a day. That takes some reflection, too, to really process that. Mm-hmm. Yep. That would be a good journal prompt. <laughs> oh, that is a great one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like your brother and your mother, so they are interconnected with you over lifetimes. Yeah, yeah. I read a book a long time ago. It's called the one Brian Weiss, Only Love is Real. Mm. And in it, he shared a couple and how their lives had interconnected over many, many lifetimes. And it made a whole lot of sense to me. It was a book, actually, I was introduced to shortly before my own husband passed. So it was very helpful at that time. Oh, thanks for sharing that. That's great. Well, before we get started, can you share with my listeners a little bit more about yourself and your work? 
Yeah, I, um, as you have heard from the intro, I, I come by this work by a very eclectic path. And to me, grief is absolutely positively one of the things that requires a holistic approach. It hits us at every level. It certainly hits us at the emotional level, but it also hits at the spiritual, mental, physical, social, relational, financial, every level. Uh, we get hit at with grief. So it is an approach that we absolutely have to have to meet it every day. Although grief is, of course, one of the most devastating things that we have to face in our lifetime, I also believe it's one of the few times that we are really invited to full transformation. We are not the same person after we've had a major loss, whether it's a death or whether it's a major a loss of a marriage or any other loss of identity. After we after we go through a process like that, we're a different person. And the point is, we get to work with how do we be a different person. So I, um, I have developed a program called HEAR, which stands for Heal, Explore, Refine, Emerge, to walk through the, a person through the transformational steps of grief. And it's a, it's a loose framework. Uh, there is a more structured program that I rarely use because it's a little too... Too uh, structured? <laughs> it's a little too, too structured and too uh, condensed. Oh, okay. But the framework certainly serves. Yeah. Well, I think you're right about... Your, you really touched on something that, in my experience with any kind of grief work, I've worked with clients that it has to be flexible. Because mm-hmm. you never know where the person's going to be that day or where they are in the process. I don't know. That's just something that I've learned too. Very, 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 very true. Yes. I say that grief requires a lot of spaciousness and permission. Spaciousness and permission. Yeah, totally agree. Well, before we get into more about working with clients, so what is your journey with grief? What have you experienced that's been really difficult losses in your life? I have endured a whole lot of losses in my life. And my book, If You Want the Rainbow, Welcome the Rain, a memoir of grief and recovery goes into most of them in great yeah. depth. I, my first significant loss was when I was six years old and my cousin, who was my number one playmate, drowned. Oh. And that was my first experience. My family was not one that made a lot of space for emotions and made even less space for grief. So that was where I got the message to tamp it down, you know, everything about everything but feel it and go through it, which is what I know now know is the way to heal. Um, and then when my mother died, when I was 25 years old, she had wanted, she had uh, said she wanted no service whatsoever. So my dad honored that. And uh, I went from her being in intensive care for on a respirator for like seven and a half weeks and me visiting her most days to her dying one day and there being no marking of it, no oh, way of honoring so hard. it. Yeah. And, um, and I carried that for another 10 years. And it was basically when I myself got sober that I went through the process of learning how to deal with grief. And then my husband died just about six years after that. And, um, and, you know, it was another opportunity where I knew that I had to, I had to take the deep dive into grief in order to find the freedom that could be on the other side. And since then, I mentioned my brother's death as well. And I've had a nephew die to overdose and I've had friends die. And yeah, it's been a journey. And I also have to say in a weird, weird, weird way, I'm grateful that it's been a part of my life the entire time. I was in a bereavement group um, after my husband died, and there was a woman present there who, she was in her 50s, and her mom and her sister died 18 months apart, but they were the first losses that she had ever had. 
so she had no framework for how to hold this. My goodness. And it, it made me realize that I was grateful that I've had, that I have known that life and death are inextricably linked since a very young age. Yeah. And I know you brought up a couple of really good points is grief isn't always death of someone. Right. Yeah. So there's so many, I think, forms of grief that people forget about so many losses. And I, I talk to clients about this too, and they're kind of like, oh, so that's considered grief too. And the marriage ends, like you said, or, you know, what I found is a, a, a grief that I've gone through is moving. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my Lord. Having just moved here about a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You, you get it. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that we can't minimize these, these other griefs that come to us, these other losses. Absolutely not. And one of my teachers is Francis Weller, who wrote the book, Wild Edge of Sorrow. And he talks about there being five gates to grief. The first is everything we love, we will lose, which is what society traditionally thinks of as grief. He also talks about grief for the parts of us that have not known love, including our own love. Holding the world's sorrows as the third gate to grief. The fourth gate to grief being things that we needed and did not receive. And that is everything from, you know, recognition of who we are as individuals and to be honored in that way. You know, neglect that might have happened. And then the fifth gate to grief is ancestral grief. So that shows a very, very broad swath. And I also very much appreciate his statement that, you know, in the days, in the world that we're living in today, particularly in light of COVID and, the, you know, we think yes. that we're in society and what's happening to mother nature, we're all living in grief. Some Absolutely. people see more closely than others. So it's really just a matter, it's a a matter of getting used to the fact, just noticing how closely am I dancing to grief today and how do I need to be with that? I got to think about that. So how closely am I dancing with grief today? That's a great question. I think for, yeah, for us as practitioners and for clients. Absolutely. Yeah. I can feel that because I'm just thinking about when you said worldwide, I'm thinking about like U.S. too, all the shootings. I mean, it's so difficult. I feel like every day I look at the news and there's like another shooting Yeah, somewhere. It's just so hard to process. And Yeah, it really is. And, you know, when we don't process it, what happens is that life just becomes really brittle. We become kind of detached from it, from situations like this. And life, like I said, just becomes brittle and it loses its fluidity and its buoyancy, which is where the joy is. More of the joy. Yeah. So that's the important part is being able to process it and work through it. Absolutely. And I know you brought on, you talked about another thing with messages, right, from society with grief. And and it's, in my impression from (laughs) my experience and from clients I've worked with, it's like a limited amount of time, right? Okay. It's been a couple of months. You should be all right. You're good to go. (laughs) Which is ludicrous, yeah. <laughs> Especially a big loss, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Or it's God's plan, which can be very hurtful to some people too. It's just... Yeah. I, when I was in seminary, I learned the term spiritual bypass. Oh, and yeah. the notion of where we use a spiritual precept or belief to go around emotions. And I think grief may very well be the one that we do that the most in. Because I wonder, because I'm thinking about a client I have too that's had a lot of religious quotes like that, that spiritual bypass. And, and I wonder if that's hindering her grief process in some I ways. I would suspect it might be because remember the notion of permission and spaciousness and a statement like that gives neither of those. Yeah. So that just kind of causes the grief to 
be more difficult, I would think, you know, mm-hmm. to manage. Well, the reason that I think the reason it makes it more difficult to manage in a situation like that is again not feeling like you have the permission to do things. You know, yeah. we we need permission from our soul and from others in order to undertake especially the big things in life. Right. Or he's in a better place. Mm-hmm. Hear that too. Like that's going to make you feel all better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well one of the things that I do to another thing that I consider a holistic approach is in traditional psychology, too often it's only looking at, you know, the four tasks of grief and the five stages of grief. So a very structured, limited perspective of processing emotions. And it doesn't tend to make any space for a continued spiritual and emotional connection with the person, which I very much believe we have. And conversely, there are spiritualist religions and practices that focus all on the continued connection and don't make any space for the very real loss and the fact that you won't you know, get a hug from this person or hear their laugh ever again. When I'm working with somebody around a big loss, I work with them from both standpoints, from honoring and completely making space for the emotions that are hard that are coming up, but also looking at the connections of the soul's that will continue. And how do you want that this relationship to continue? What role do you want them to play in your life? How are you wanting to honor your continued connection? And that resonates with most people because absolutely you know, a lot of our society doesn't it's amazing to me the number of people and how tentative it is when I'm in a group of people and I ask if they feel a continued connection with somebody on the other side. The hands go up so slowly and so tentatively and it's all that this sounds weird. How could I possibly have a connection with somebody on the other side? But the reality is a lot of us do. Yes. Mm-hmm. I know you mentioned a little bit about like regular grief counseling. Can you share what are the differences between more of a holistic perspective or tr- some kind of therapy with holistic counseling or regular grief counseling? Is there a difference? There's different packages of grief counseling, if you will. Um, there's one that's very popular that, that I find very formulaic, um, and that's the grief recovery uh, system. And I much prefer ones that have a lot of spaciousness and individuality to me. One of the people who I really like to follow his work is Alan Wolfelt, who talks about companioning and the fact that when we companion somebody in grief, we go into the wilderness with them, but it's not our job to help them, to direct them back out. It's our job to continue to be at their side as they find their own way back out. Um, and it's not our job to you know, give them guidance on how what's going to work for them. It's our job to, you know, be with them and maybe ask some questions that might help them find out what's true for them. But I, uh, in the spiritual counseling work that I do, even I love the notion of companioning, but I think the, the importance of it gets taken to a really exponential level when it comes to grief. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's because it is their path. So it is, I just picture like walking side by side with a, with a client that's experiencing that and helping them through. And, and I know you mentioned spirituality. So can you talk more about that? What kind of role that plays in helping clients heal from grief? You know, I have a very broad definition of spirituality. Um, I am an interfaith and interspiritual minister. What that means is that all paths to the divine and all expressions of the divine are equally valid. 
So I love that. <laughs> one person's expression of the divine may be music, another person's may be time in nature, another person's uh, might be time in church. So I don't think it's important as to what the sense of spirituality is, right. but to start to develop that there is something beyond yourself and something that can offer both a trust in the process and a sense of meaning that comes from the process. Another perspective that I appreciate from another grief facilitator is David Kessler wrote a book called Finding Meaning, the Sixth Stage of, of Grief. Uh, he worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross when she identified the first initial five, and he actually went to her family for permission to to call it the sixth stage. Um, oh. And I believe it came to him. He actually lost a son, and it was in the losing of his son that he was able to identify how important finding meaning in it, in it is. Yeah, that can be so healing to, to find the meaning. And, and I feel like when I've used spirituality with clients with grief, that they're able to process it more as they make that connection and find their meaning with it more than those that don't have a spiritual practice, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the whole notion of being connected to something beyond is so much more accessible to those of us that do have a belief in spirit. And I think a lot of therapists are hesitant to use spirituality and traditional counseling. Yes. I don't know if you can talk to that a little bit. Well, I, I was surprised. I actually recently had gone back from my MSW to, do, to go the clinical route. I had previously, as you heard, done the energy healing and spiritual counseling. Yeah. And so it's a recent that I was in an MSW program. And one, fortunately, I did not have this professor. And I was the one who was often bringing up spirituality, which professors generally appreciated. They didn't usually bring it up, but they brought it up when I did. And the students really appreciated it. But apparently there was one professor who outright said spirituality has absolutely no place in social work. Wow. Like, hmm, isn't social work about meeting the whole being? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, it, there is a wide range. And to me, I attribute people's discomfort with spirituality similar to people's discomfort with grief. You know, they have gotten the message that um, either directly or they developed it for themselves, that for some reason it needs to be pushed off to the side, that, that, that somehow going through the process is actually going to cause more damage than good, um, which is a message that a lot of people get about spirituality, especially True. about religion, um, and definitely a message that people get about grief. And, you know, neither of them, in my experience, either for myself or what it, with what I've seen with clients, is anywhere close to truth. And I find that clients are relieved that we can talk about it in session. <laughs> yeah. And providing that space. And, and I, th I don't know if it's because they're afraid that, you know, if we, we're not supposed to put our values on them, but I always come from the perspective, it's if the client, if that's something that's important to them and they want to talk about it, then we can provide that space. Absolutely. And, you know, as long as you're meeting them where they are and not proselytizing your own yeah. beliefs, um, which I know you're not doing, but I'm saying in general. No, I know. I know what you're saying. I think it's really, as you said, it, it goes back to the permission to talk about something that otherwise society wants us to whisper about, you know? 
That's so true. And I know you mentioned the hear, the heal, explore, refine, emerge. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what that recovery process looks like? And- yeah. So it's, um, and that sounds very linear and that has, and it, it actually has a lot of back and forth. Oh, I'm sure. Too. But the first thing in order for someone to, to be able to heal is to look at what needs to be healed. So I help people to see how grief is impacting not only at the emotional level, but also at the physical, mental, and spiritual levels. And we start to work at how that needs to be addressed. And we also look at how this is in the context of a death. The person that was in your life, what roles did they play? And not just the most obvious one, but all of the roles that they played. Because what we want to do is look to make sure that that the person's needs are still being met. Now, obviously, they're not going to be met in the exact same way because the different the person is gone. But so a spouse ideally, hopefully, yes. <laughs> provides, a, provides a lot of love in one's life. So where else can the person get their, get that love? A lot of times per, a person has lost their confidant. So where, can, where else can a person confide? So that the needs, the person's needs are not undermined because of the loss. So yeah. that's another thing that's important to look at. So that's a lot of the healing process. And since I do have an energy healing background, how is grief showing up in your body and how to work through that? So that's kind of the healing process. And as that's starting to wind down a little bit, feel a little more comfortable at least, people innately start to go into an exploration mode. They start to look at, okay, This is who I've been in the past. This is what I believe. This is where I've come from. This is, you know, what I've always done. These are the vacations I've taken, the people I hang around with and blah, blah, blah. Is this really still true for me? Does this still fit me? So they start to innately go into that exploration mode. And then after some time, and it usually is a good chunk of time, like at least six months to a year in the exploration mode, they start to let go of the things that they found don't fit them. And they start to cement the things that they found really fit them in their life. And then the emerge process isn't obviously a one-time event, but I often do recommend that people do a ritual to note the emergence. There's a a writer, Elizabeth Harford-Neald, who wrote a book called Seven Choices. And she talks about the final choice or the final stage being integration. And I love that notion. The way I describe it with clients is right after we've had a loss, that loss is going to be the thing that defines us for a while. And as we heal, we still make space for the loss to be a part of us and to you know impact us and all that other kind of stuff. But it doesn't have to define us. The definition of, of healing, of really getting to the other side of grief is where you can have the loss to be a part of you, but that you can still find joy and purpose and meaning and fun and all of the blessings of life as well, that they have even more space. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I could see how clients could be healed just by that, just hearing that and understanding it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting when I when I talk to people about believing in the possibility of healing, the number of people that kind of hold like a badge their belief that they can never heal from grief. I think a lot of people are under the misnomer that somehow it's being disloyal if you heal from a loss. Um, and that is so not true. You know, we are put on this earth, I believe, to live as fully as we can during all of our time here. 
Um, and certainly there are times where we are not living at 100%, like, like in grief. But through healing from those times, we can indeed come back to, to living more fully again. So what have you noticed with the impact of grief on substance use? So I, um, it's interesting because my, my book is called A Memoir of Grief and Recovery. And I do know that my own alcoholism was fed by the, the you know, you don't grieve. I should have been more aware, should have, quote unquote, <laughs> that how prevalent it was. But yeah. it was when I started working um, as a chaplain. I was a chaplain in a hospital that had both a detox and a rehab unit. And I was already a certified grief counselor. And when they, one of the counselors there found that out, he's like, oh, are we going to put you to use? And oh, yeah. Did. And this is something, it was astonishing to me that almost every single client I worked at in that capacity, and it was hundreds, almost every single one of them said that no one had ever talked to them about this before. Wow. And it was really, I had one 22 year old guy say, I knew that my using hat started the minute my dad died. And I tried to talk to my counselor and they said that that's not what we're here to talk about. And that was, it was, I think it may have been that very moment that I decided that this was the focus. Cause this is another thing. There's not a lot of focus on the link out there. Yeah. You know what? I honestly, I've not he heard anything other than when I read your info <laughs> about this. I was yeah. like, huh. Even a lot of treatment centers, if they do any grief work at all, it's grief related to stopping using, which is significant. Absolutely. Sure. I'm not diminishing that. But there's so much more grief that people are carrying. You know, the stories that I've worked with people around had a lot of needs for forgiveness for others, self-forgiveness for themselves, just devastating circumstances that people are able to find space for on the other side. And the number of people who can understand that how their loved ones were with them on earth that may have caused harm are probably not, were very unlikely to be the soul of the person. And the soul of the person is what still exists. So are able to find, you know, that healing of the earthly connection and that possibility for the spirit, the ongoing spiritual connection. Oh, I appreciate you sharing that. What's the impact of grief on those who are in recovery? When grief is not met, the recovery doesn't seem to be as full. And I think also is always in danger of sneaking up and and taking us out too. I am actually working on a book right now called Healing and Recovery Beyond. Nice. Eight, eight invitations to soulful living for those of those who have danced with grief and addiction. So it's a very deep dive into the healing at both levels in order to, to be able to fully get on the other side of a person's addiction. Because I imagine it would be difficult to stay sober when... You're not processing the grief. It is. It is. If, if there's sobriety, it tends to be more dryness than real emotional sobriety. And yet, again, there's not a lot of support for processing the grief in the context of recovery as well. Yeah. Hmm. Sounds like that's a great resource then that, that you're creating. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping lots of people take advantage of it. Yeah. So what's a takeaway you could share today that could help listeners who may be just starting to integrate some grief counseling into their practice? So I'm going to go back to the words spaciousness and permission and also add the word gentleness. You know, this is, um, this is not a thing that we check off a to-do list 
And our society doesn't generally live outside the to-do list. You know, we are much better at doing than we are about being. And grief is all about being. It's all about being whether you're the person who is in the grief or whether you're the person who's being with the person in the grief. So gentleness, be really, really gentle with yourself. Give yourself as much spaciousness as you possibly can. And also give yourself permission to be wherever you are in the process. I think that's so important. I also want to say at the back of my book, I had originally written the book, If You Want the Rainbow, Welcome the Rain, only as a memoir. And somehow towards the end, I couldn't help but add a chapter on tips. So there's a chapter in there. Yes, that's great. (laughs) I appreciate that. What's the best way for listeners to find you and learn more about you? Uh, My website is Your Soul Path, and you can reach me through that. My email is anne.oneal.com. 61 at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook page called Grief and Recovery, um, and it deals with grief in general, but it really specifically deals with grief uh, for, for people that are dealing with substance use issues as well. Thank you so much, Anne, for coming on the podcast. This has been a great discussion. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Are you ready to connect with other holistic therapist listeners? Come on over to the Facebook group, the Holistic Counseling and Self-Care Group, and connect today. And again, this is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Till next time, take care. Thanks for listening to the Holistic Counseling Podcast. Ready to engage with other holistic counselors? Head on over to my Facebook group, the Holistic Counseling and Self-Care Group, where you'll be able to connect with other holistic counselors just like you. You'll also gain invaluable resources on holistic practices daily and connect with others in a fun, drama-free environment. Remember to tune in next Wednesday for another episode.